0: The blanket that smells like the church that resembles a castle. Or is that a tapestry, singed at the edges by the fire which clustered us all on one sidewalk, and a smoky vision only half seen by those squinting few, sleeve over sleeve, crossbones, emblem of the something lost or ransacked. Timid soul, a scene through blackening hush of coal and ravine, incensed or outbeamed, glimmering rapid as the epoch it chases. Between picturing and pictures, long defaced, precious soul, a scene in cold threads and white-hot laces, chrysanthemum tunics, tulip shorts, hyacinth necklines, moonstone boots, local roots, and the funny hat that's shaped like the bill of a duck that sounds like the country.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Soul Scene, the podcast where we imagine a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future. Thank you for starting us with that poem, Erin. You read it to me yesterday, right after we got back from a thrift store, which is in the basement of a church. Yeah. And that is the place where I bought this blanket, which is behind me. And I feel like this poem is very inspired by that place. Is it true or was it just me projecting?
0: It was you projecting. Well, subconsciously maybe it was true. It was Mm -hmm. just like this stream of consciousness, kind of nonsensical vibe. I've realized that a lot of my poems about the solo scene, come down to just listing things with some mm-hmm. kind of pun or rhyme involving the word solo scene. Um, but what I was kind of thinking about a lot for this week, two things. One is architecture, and so that's where kind of the church comes into play, and also how architecture and fashion kind of mm-hmm. mingle or contrast, and also the idea that the solo scene is born out of both an imagination, a creativity, but maybe even before that, being incensed like a kind of rage or Mm -hmm. dissatisfaction with things but it's just that we channel it or hope to in a productive or inspiring manner
1: yeah people listening can't tell that we're both just very rage-filled people we go through the day just screaming at cars kicking over little kids yeah exactly (laughs) and this is the only time that we really have an outlet for our our joy
0: that's a good point so today we're talking about I guess globalization in fashion and how to make the world big again in the solar scene or whether we should, and also how degrowth plays into all of that. But before we start, solar scene, word of the week. What's that? It's a little word called frippery. Frippery? And our bilingual listeners, if the other language is French. (laughs) will know that friperie is kind of like the French word for thrift store or secondhand mm-hmm. clothing store. And we know this because we live in Montreal, even though both of our French is far from fluent, let's say. But then this week, I learned that friperie is also a word in English. And it has a lot of different definitions, some of them seeming contradicting each other, which is a bit mm-hmm. strange. But I know it from the Old English, the Shakespearean, some might say, which also means used clothes use goods
1: that's really interesting it also is a good word if you want to sound a bit smarter than perhaps you feel do you, you think can start sprinkling in oh i'm just gonna go pop to the frippery And so people were like is that yeah are you english is <laughs> are that you what french call it, in it made
0: me or? it made me think about maybe in english like there are old english versions of other french words so like instead mm-hmm. of boulangerie maybe they like in old english they said like blangerie. yeah blanchy Something like that, because I always kind of bastardize it to sound weird, but... It's true. Frippery. Word of the week.
1: I like that word. And
0: also, I guess, before we start, buy the zines, buy the clothes, subscribe. We're on YouTube. Watch us. Just give us your time (laughs) (laughs) and support. Support is a kinder word.
1: Support is a kinder word, because we really appreciate it. So the first question is, how to make the world big again? This is going to then tie into a question later on the episode where we're going to talk about how fashion is a good case study or a tool for degrowth. We'll get into that later, a bit more on the ecological side. But first of all, why do we need to ask this question? How to make the world big again?
0: That's a great point. I have one highlighted quote on my page. It's not really a quote because I just came up with it, but I tend to think in phrases. And then if I put quotation marks around them, it makes them feel more special to me. Mm -hmm. But I'll let you read this one off.
1: Because otherwise, everything is boring.
0: Yeah, because otherwise, everything is boring. And I also had written down It's a Small World from that Disney song. But I just feel like when it's a big world, things are a lot more exciting. Picturing travel or the concept of the exotic, what's so exciting about going to China if everybody spoke the same language as you, dressed the same as you, the architecture was the same as you, it's a lot less fun.
1: Absolutely, and right now I'm doing, and so are you, but I'm choosing Ernest Hemingway as a special author for a special author project that you and I are doing, which is like reading all of the books that someone wrote, and he is infamously a very well-traveled man. Sometimes he kind of canonizes himself in ways that aren't necessarily true, but he's definitely a man of the world, and it makes me want to be a woman of the world and travel and see places But yeah, you're right. Like, if everything was the same, then it's a bit less enticing unless you're really into nature.
0: Yeah, I remember learning about the silk trade Mm. in middle school and also spices and how big a role those kind of things played in the exploration of the world, colonizing and all that fun or unfun stuff. And I just remember always being confused in my seat as to why silk started wars Mm -hmm. and just led people you know across continents but now that I've kind of grown up it's like it's kind of a nice thing because it's just the material
1: yeah you know what I mean
0: like it's not like people it's not like it was this massive thing for weaponry that's true although I think that played a role in it as well with like gunpowder but I just think and also the fur trade in Canada I just think it's a nice idea that our imagination is what drives us i mean sometimes can lead us to good or bad but it's it's a very human thing to be driven by imagination regarding like materials and new art because it's basically like we need we need those dyes Mm. we need those spices
1: yeah that's really true it's something creative and something tactile that was driving people to exchange materials and exchange information along those lines as well.
0: I also just think it's a funny contrast because now it's like the concept of exotic is kind of dead and we can talk a bit about why that is, but now almost everything is made in China
1: and it's that's true. just the most
0: mundane thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, made in China. Yeah. But if you saw, oh, made in Canada, Yeah. then that's exciting.
1: Yeah, but 50 years ago if it was made in China, it'd be like something big that was imported and probably handcrafted and so on, something really exciting. I wanted to bring us back to 1909, because when you think about globalization and kind of getting to where we are today, where everyone wears a jean and T-shirt, that feels like it isn't that new. But in reality, it is quite new. Yeah, very new. Um, So in 1909, Albert Kahn, who was not a great guy, but he was just like a billionaire, philanthropist, banker guy, um, the color film camera had just been invented and disseminated to like a few people, really. And he had this idea of documenting the world's cultures and like making a catalog of humans from all over the world, which is a bit, it's a little bit fetishy and not like the coolest thing ever. But his photographs are really came at a time like right at the brink of when we started all. Yeah, the, world, the, the
0: world was opening up, kind of.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he set off a crew of photographers all over the world. They went to 50 countries, got 100 hours of color film footage, like video footage, which is cool, and over 17,000 photos, which is really neat. And it's cool that it was done in color, obviously, because any photos before that point, like the film, color film was like 1907, was when it really just took off. And so it's really cool that he was able to do this and capture these images, but they were all lost until the 80s. So that was like a kind of in the last 40 years, we rediscovered this collection of photos. But it when you look at them, they're all online. If you want to go look at them, it's really remarkable. The colors represent kind of where the people are because of the dyes they had. Mm-hmm. Because even in the early 20th century, we were still using local dyes, local fabrics. Things were a bit more like people would dress up for festivals, not just wearing a dress. Like yeah. people would do now it's they still kind of had a bit more of a localized culture and like not just national like i feel like it is now it's like okay this is how people in canada dress for festivals and this is how people in france dress for festivals it was even more like hyper local because countries identities were a bit still all over the place yep and i just thought that was really cool
0: how many photos did you say they took
1: over seventeen thousand.
0: almost as many selfies as you've taken a day but (laughs) um clip it no (laughs) yeah that is really neat about like the idea of traveling and kind of like a travel log Mm -hmm. i was thinking about cinema Mm -hmm. i was thinking just about every different art form but fashion this week but also still trying to use it for this (laughs) episode but cinema is kind of like that exotic travelers paintings or photos that they bring back Mm -hmm. right i mean it's it's stylized and it's fictional rather than that which is more of a documentarian I guess and I I guess this is weird because we do watch a lot of movies but I still get kind of excited when I see Asia on film or when I see some place I've never been to in real life Mm -hmm. I still get I wouldn't say like excited but it still raises my attention as in, like wow that looks so different and so neat even certain cities in the west that I haven't been to it's like wow that's looks St. Louis St. Louis that looks really neat but along those lines, something that I feel I subconsciously, something that I almost consciously try and do is limit the amount of movies that I watch from those places, mm. at least until I go there. We felt that a little bit when we went to Paris last year, right? It's like, I don't want to know too much about it. I don't want to see too much. I mean, we moved to Montreal. I had never really seen a, a photo of the city. Yeah. I didn't know at all what it looked like or what it was. And that was kind of the, the big exciting question mark. And so I do think uh, you can use this with clothes also, but it's about kind of exposing yourself to places in ways that capture versus kind of stifle your imagination regarding Mm -hmm. it. You don't want to know too much, let's say. And I mean, that's film is one thing. And I think global cinema is great, don't get me wrong, but there's also the concept of just following people on Instagram and just watching their lives, Constantly, it's like that will also maybe numb you to the idea of that place as exotic.
1: Mm. I absolutely think that's a good point. Like, we watched a movie set in Seoul the other day, and we were both kind of after watching, we we're like, "That's kind of enough." Like, yeah, exactly. I want to go to Seoul now. It piqued my interest, but in I don't want to go and like watch a bunch of Walter's worlds of him touring around Seoul or like my friends living there right now. So I'm kind of like, maybe I'll stop looking at her stories because I would like to experience it for myself and it makes it a lot more wonderful like even you and i went to the botanical gardens in montreal recently Mm -hmm. we've lived here for over two years and i'd never seen a photo of it yeah exactly so we went and i was expecting uh, flowers like montreal based like canadian flowers Mm -hmm. then you walk in and it's this whole basically like disney world of of plants which is for me a very exciting thing and Had I been looking at pictures of it for two years being like, oh, I can't wait to go there, then maybe it would have been less exciting. And it's the same with clothes, because if you're perhaps looking at all of the trendy people all the time, then you go to the mall and you're like, "Mm," like nothing's really exciting. You don't get excited about the clothes you see there. And I feel like if you're going to be purchasing clothes and building a wardrobe, you should be excited about everything that comes into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's hard to speak in generalities with this, because I think Like I say, we watch Korean films and you're like, oh, that looks really neat. So it looks really cool. Or let's say you follow a blog about like Parisian street style. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing. I just feel like it's very easy to overexpose ourselves in the modern world. And that balance is very key. Mm -hmm. And along the lines of the botanical gardens, I had a note about casualness. Because Mm -hmm. regarding the world being made smaller, I have this idea that the more casual people dress across cultures, the more similarly they dress.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: And the reason I say it was along the lines of the Botanical Garden is because they had a big Chinese-themed exhibit mm-hmm. and there were people there dressed in like traditional Chinese formal clothes, mm-hmm. which looks wildly different from obviously traditional Western formal clothes. But I would hazard a guess that what they slept in was quite a lot more similar to what people in the West slept in. So I think as we move more towards just everybody wearing sweatpants and t shirts, there isn't that much room to, you know, for the culture to even manifest in those things.
1: That's a really great point. I had one more historical anecdote about how people started dressing similar, which is something I didn't know. And it's obviously like quite relatively recent history. And it's that when jeans, really took off in America in the early 20th century. It was like increasingly over like 50 years from like 1900 until 1950 or so. People were like jeans were just like the craze. Levi's were everywhere because they were comfortable and durable and affordable at the time. And images, I guess, of jeans kind of leaked into the communist countries. Yeah. So into the Soviet Union and into China. And they were unable to reproduce it, which is, like, really a foreign concept to us of, mm-hmm. like, you can't, like, figure out how to make genes or, like, you right. can't figure out how to make something because now we have the internet and everything's just so, like, knowledge is just yeah out there. And that was, like, a contributing factor to the fall of the Soviet Union. People were rebelling and wanting genes. <laughs> and it's the same... <laughs> it's not the same, but similar in China because as they kind of got into manufacturing... And producing Western apparel, which as we know now, it's like everything is made in China. They started producing it for American import. Yes. But then because they were producing it, people started seeing it and wearing it. And that leaks. It's like as we started producing stuff all over the world, it then started being worn all over yeah. the world.
0: Yeah, I get it. That, that was kind of one of my points with movies as well, is that it can transmit the same image of cool
1: mm-hmm.
0: across continents.
1: Yeah. I have a quote, which I feel like will lead me into my kind of solutions for making the world big again. And it's by Tom Robbins. And it said, individualism is bad for business, though absolutely necessary for freedom, progressive knowledge and any possible interface with the transient. And I feel like that's a really good point and a very solo scene point of like, yeah, individualism is good for business. It's good for capitalism because you can make the white T-shirt, you can master the white T-shirt and disseminate it all over the world. But it's like, that's boring. But if everyone wanted something individualized and customized, it's hard to make a business model around that. But it's good for the soul, the spirit, yeah, the yeah. individual in so many ways. And so I'm going to list my three solutions to making the world big again. And then we can kind of talk with them. So the first one is decoupling profits and fashions because clothing is a necessity. And I think we've kind of forgotten that clothing is a necessity because we're so disconnected from the natural world it's like we're all in air conditioned or heated spaces Mm -hmm. but really I think in the solo scene it will be re-commodified in a way of like you need clothes to survive and treating them as such and the fashion is almost secondary but still I think it's a right to be able to express yourself because in countries historically where there's been like uniform mandates or like clothing rations it's just depressing and like it has an impact on the people's spirits so i think in the solo scene we'll reframe how we think about clothing i guess as more of like a a personal thing whereas right now it's personal and people use it they have huge wardrobes to express themselves but i feel like they don't think about it that much if that makes any sense
0: I think it's you can maybe phrase it as fashion being a top-down um, cultural touchpoint or or a, a ground-up thing.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get at.
0: Like something else on my mind this week was architecture and whether we can kind of phrase it as a participatory art form, like fashion is, because we mm-hmm. kind of you participate in a building. You know what I mean? Like the people walking around the building make it the building. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a question for another week. But one thing that is quite concrete, you know, pun intended about architecture, is that it's given to people, it's given to the common folk, Mm. you know, by just like companies, uh, developers, architects, you might say. And I think fashion is increasingly going that way as well, where it's like, you'll take what Uniqlo and H&M and Zara give you for the most part, yeah, so you're talking about kind of reversing that.
1: Yeah, and it's like those companies, their sole motive is to make money. It's not to create quality clothes, to make the people wearing them feel good. Yeah,
0: and also it will never be because they're, they're like transnational corporations. Mm-hmm. And I think a general rule might be that the bigger the company, the broader the appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never going to be anything interesting. And this is why we get this kind of gray or grayish homogeneity so often.
1: Yeah. Like, I
0: mean, it doesn't... Why would cities have different fashion identities when they all have the same stores in them, basically?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, like, my next point is decentralizing influence and production. So that's, like, kind of two things, but it's, like, decentralizing, yeah, the influence of the one person, like, the one fashion icon Mm -hmm. and the one factory where it's all made. So making things locally and being inspired locally. And that brings me to...
0: The garment of the week. Ba-da, da, da, ba-da.
1: Thank you. I don't know why I paused for music, <laughs> when we don't have music, or but you know whatever what I that mean. was. Yeah. So the garment of the week is the East Coast lifestyle hoodie. No,
0: <laughs> I'd forgotten about that for two years since we escaped Nova Scotia.
1: The East Coast lifestyle. We escaped it, but it's coming back. Yeah. So the East Coast lifestyle hoodie.
0: You can leave the East Coast, but the East Coast never leaves you. Yeah. <laughs> bud
1: is a sweater uh-huh. i think the first one was navy right. with a white and navy logo with an anchor and it says east coast lifestyle since 2013 and it, the year was 2013 so it's kind <laughs> of like thank you for that information <laughs> and this is perhaps the most impactful garment i never owned mm. this the existence of this hoodie like no and the, the the
0: ubiquity of it
1: yeah i think put me on this path of being obsessed with fashion and sustainability.
0: So in other words, it inspired you.
1: It inspired me, but in like a negative way. Right. And so I never owned one. It was a group of Nova Scotia students at Acadia University, and they had a business project. And they were kind of groundbreaking in the use of influencer marketing and micro-influencer marketing because I remember, okay, this hoodie, it's just all of a sudden my friends are – Or people from my high school are like posting about it, but they're being paid to post about it. And I'm like, what? Like you have like 800 followers. Why are you being paid to post a picture of this hoodie? And then I started to realize how great of a tactic it is of getting it out there. You pay a 10th grader $25 to post this and they're obviously going to. yeah, And they get like discount codes or whatever. Maybe we should do that. (laughs) And it made me think anyone can do it. Like anyone can... Make, this, make a product as long as it's, like... Not awful. Not awful. And they can market it using influencer marketing. And obviously, that's what 80% of the population does now for a living, is they pro- market their product through influencers. But then, it also made me realize, this is just a Gildan hoodie. Like, it's just a hoodie that is mass-produced and printed on with a logo. But why is it so quintessentially east coast it's not right there's just a anchor no one fishes there's mm. like 10 fishermen in nova scotia that's not true but it's like it's not as ubiquitous as people made it feel yeah, when they're yeah. wearing these hoodies and the design was just in canva like it doesn't
0: such a really great question though why was it so big i think maybe you have an answer but off the top of my head people like the idea of identifying where the place
1: yeah, exactly. Very
0: visually, very like ostentatious, ostentatiously, I'm from here, mm-hmm. deal with it. And it's like nobody yeah. nobody cares kind of thing.
1: So it's like you're wearing it in the province. Like we know you're <laughs> in the East Coast lifestyle. You're yeah, sitting at but, the Halifax waterfront.
0: But, um, you know, to give it its dues, it was also a big thing in airports.
1: It's true. But this is what I'm trying to say is like in this day and age, it's like you can make a product that's not made here designed here i guess but it's like a doodle like it's not it's not (laughs) cynical so they they designed the hoodie like
0: did you ever have one no no i didn't what about your family
1: yeah i think everyone had one i feel like
0: you shouldn't be panning it too hard you're gonna get some angry messages
1: well they should they should i'd
0: forgotten all about this and you're right it was a meteoric rise
1: yeah it was wild it was just everywhere everyone had one they were in every store i
0: wonder if people outside of the east coast know about it
1: i wonder if you're listening from outside the East Coast, it's let me an know. an
0: export like Trailer Park Boys or something. Mm-hmm. But speaking of, of Nova Scotia and also making the, world, making the world smaller, I had a really kind of practical and boring way that this could gain popularity, i.e. being local, and that is shipping costs.
1: Absolutely. Because
0: it's, it's such a frequent... This probably happens everywhere, but, you know, like the Nova Scotia example is, it's such a frequent gripe that especially older people will have when it's like walking around the grocery store or in a restaurant. Oh, why is our seafood so expensive? It's all from right here across the, like, I can see the ocean from here. Mm-hmm. But they ship it to who knows where and, you know, we get the the scraps, which basically is what happens. And that's because of globalized supply chains and et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense when you look at it, and so I think in the solar scene it will make a bit more sense. It's pretty it mm-hmm. like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always feel a lot about maple syrup. It's like what eighty percent of the world's maple syrup is made in our province, right? And it's like, but probably it's cheaper the same in a lot price. of other places. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, yeah, just like internalizing the externalized costs. So like you have to pay for the environmental impact. You have to pay for the actual shipping cost. Whereas right now it's economies of scale or whatever.
0: Yeah, I also had this point about again going back to movies, film festivals, or I guess there's the fashion weeks, right? Mm. New York Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, etc. And something I find so neat about these, not only are they geographically exclusive, but they are also timed. Yeah. So it's like it's all well and good to be in Toronto, but you have to be there for this one10 day period or in Cannes, or at Sundance, or whatever. And also what's really neat about them, from what I hear, is that each film festival has tends to have an identity about the kind of films that appear there, mm. which doesn't really make sense. You'd think it's like, oh, indie films, they do the circuit. But no, there is very much such a thing as a Sundance film, a TIFF film, mm. a Cannes film. And I think that's, if we could somehow harness this power, and maybe the Fashion Weeks have the same identity, I'm not sure, but...
1: No, I definitely agree. I think harnessing the the climate a bit, Yeah. this type of people that go to them, and not being afraid to be exclusive. I feel like a lot of these brands, Zara, Uniqlo, they're afraid to be exclusive. Yeah, that's what Uniqlo I mean. Uniqlo especially, it's like, it's just, we have t-shirts, pants, in every color, every size, mm-hmm. and it's like, maybe if you have a passion for making clothes you can make clothes that you like and for people like in your community that you are with. So it's like maybe I would make clothes for gardeners because I work with gardeners and kind of know those people, know their style, and so on. But now we're kind of... You want to be as broad as possible in order to make the most money, really. My final D for the solutions to making the world big again, so we had decouple, decentralize, and DIY. So... That's kind of obvious. We talk about this all the time on this semester, but doing it yourself. So maybe you're irritated because there's no pants that you like in the store. Learn how to sew them yourself. This is a big project. It's a big economic commitment.
0: Yeah, but I feel I like you are scene... kind of subtweeting me with that one.
1: Yeah, okay. I am. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in the solo scene, the skills would be a bit more there like we'll know how to sew yeah or you'll know someone who knows how to sew it's
0: all on youtube now right yeah but i just think it's recognized it's having agency it's people realizing i can do this and it'll be like that moment in 2001 a space odyssey you know when the monkey picks up the the tool the bone yeah and it's like this seismic Mm uh advancement and it's like a match cut with the spaceship it would like we need to have that moment or the end of wall-e right Mm -hmm. when the guy stands up yeah. we need to, we need to kind of realize we can stand up.
1: Yeah. Exactly. That's there's a word within the degrowth movement called conviviality and convivial tools and these are tools that are they feed you, they feed your community and they just like give you agency. And so like examples of convivial tools are sewing machines, bikes, things that you can use to like be autonomous, and not rely on the system. Yeah. But also not rely on corporations like i feel like you're either relying on public transit which is like a government thing or you're relying on toyota for your car but it's like a bike you really rely on yourself and degrowth isn't an individualistic thing but it's like when you can rely on yourself then other people around you can rely on you too yeah
0: i mean you can't really have community if your community is just all going to walmart
1: exactly because like what do we bring to each other obviously we bring intellectual and emotional support to one another, but I think bringing like skills is important in a friend group or in a community and you shouldn't be afraid or what do you bring? I bring the sewing. I think like I've had so many craft nights and like clothing swap and mending nights at our apartment. And I feel like that's what I bring. You bake. I bake.
0: There you go.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But I strive to be a convivial person who can bring something, and I feel like it inspires me to like keep growing because I feel good when I give to my friends (laughs) or to you. (laughs) Yesterday, I sewed like four pairs of shorts for Aaron.
0: No, okay, feel good. You altered them. Yeah, you didn't make them. No. Okay, so (laughs) pivoting into the second question today, which is a little bit about the degrowth and fashion. Convergence, I suppose. Mm -hmm. We talked about this a bit on the first episode of semester, but we're expanding a little bit today. And I just had some completely disparate thoughts and notes. So I'll just (laughs) list them. The first is two quotes. And the first one says, Every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. Mm -hmm. And this is almost trite. But I feel like if we really thought about that and internalized it, it's such an inspiring notion because. It feels so often like we're in a modern world that doesn't allow any opportunity to be virtuous or to be principled or to stick with what you believe in. But actually, it faces us almost all the time. It's just in a kind of mundane or unsexy way. Mm. It's at the supermarket or the choice to go there at all. So I guess, you know... You're basically sacrificing, in most cases, money for what you believe in. Mm. Which is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a superhero thing.
1: It is, yeah. Like, often, yeah, if you choose to buy locally or you choose to buy the the organic brand or whatever, it's kind of like, do I, I shouldn't have to spend an extra $3, but you will to support what you believe in. Yeah. And support your health or whatever it may be.
0: I also think it's a good antidote to... The political apathy, which is so, so easy and common, because it's like, this is a way that you can really affect things that isn't voting. Mm. And the other quote is, there is no beauty in the finest cloth if it makes hunger and unhappiness. This, I don't know where either of these quotes come from, just Google images. The second one might be from Gandhi, could be. If so, he kind of illustrated the solo seen beautiful, sustainable, tactile balance in that these thing these things all coexist there is no beauty without sustainability and tactility in the solar scene um, it's like the triforce
1: it really is yeah yeah no i like those quotes i especially like the second one because yeah we don't think about the like the blood diamonds we're just like oh it's a diamond that's sweet but then it's like yeah. it's made in a war zone by children whatever whatever for all of the different clothes they all have a kind of bloody or at least like in human history
0: (laughs) some other points about degrowth which is quite a left-wing academic concept for now almost quite an insulated thing in the truest Mm -hmm. sense of the the word degrowth like in the if you look at who is involved yeah it tends to be left-wing academics Mm -hmm. and so i had this question about left-wing fashion versus right-wing fashion as in how it Not like incidentally how conservatives tend to dress, but -hmm. how fashion plays a role in the political ideologies of both. And I think you can look at like the Make America Great Again hats. Yeah. And there is no leftist alternative to that, right? Like they don't have a version. And this is kind of a a common sense thing regarding like uniformity.
1: What if we next week staged a debate and he just took a side?
0: What's the debate going to be?
1: I don't know exactly. It could be something along the lines of like fashion, like what you think fashion should be.
0: Yeah, okay. But anyway, so that was just my thought about how it's often people talk about how difficult it is for progressives to band together. Mm. And I think a big part of that is that they don't all have a shared vision of what they are banding for. I mean, that's in part what the solo scene kind of is anyway. Whereas with conservatives, it's, it's a lot easier Mm because it's just like it did it was like this at some point Mm -hmm. so it's easier just to remember rather than to imagine yeah but anyway so I thought the hats that was kind of a neat just case study and secondly I was thinking about how is academia ever like the vanguard the seat the influence of fashion and if so when because it feels to me like it at least hasn't been that for a very long time, if it ever really was. True. I mean, retroactively, people talk about like Ivy League fashion and dark academia is a big aesthetic. But it's like, at the time, was it ever the case that people looked at postgrads and thought, <laughs> wow, those guys are stylish?
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: And so I just thought about that with regards to like the tangible degrowth movements. Another thing that's very topical, Halloween. I feel like Halloween is a weirdly degrowth case study because you think about how, are you buying a costume? Are you making it? We all know which one's cooler. Mm
1: Are you making your candy apples or are you buying them?
0: I didn't even know you could. (laughs) Have you done that before?
1: Yeah. Maybe we should make candy apples this year.
0: The thing is, I love apples. And I'm also, I tend to be opposed to cavities.
1: So anti-cavity stance on Zolocene I (laughs) had
0: it here first
1: yeah degrowth is definitely a very Halloween yeah thing because it's the one time of year where you talk to your neighbors exactly
0: that everyone's just going around on the streets people are like oh walkability that's kind of nice that's kind of awesome
1: people are like I wish my community was walkable for Halloween
0: isn't this lovely Um, wouldn't it be cool if it was like this every day but also (laughs) I don't know Halloween's just just so neat it's like this this shared like deconstruction and I don't know, of the persona or something. I don't it's know. another it's, thing. Yeah,
1: Maybe we should dress up for Halloween on an episode. Yeah, we should. Okay, let's do that.
0: Um, <laughs> also with fashion and degrowth, this is a bit of a convoluted analogy, but it just it it made me think about it. Choice versus what's imposed on you. And I was kind of talking about this a bit with architecture, right? Architecture tends to be just imposed on people. And an example of this in fashion is like, the school uniform. Mm. I mean, I think you can even argue whether that is fashion in the strictest sense of the word, because, like, there's no choice involved. Mm. There's no creativity on the part of the wearers. And in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, remember, have you seen that show? I have, yes. Well, you know, Will turns his jacket inside out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, like, fashion. And um, this reminds me of in degrowth. The most typical complaint against it is that it's a totalitarian ruse to trick people into austerity. So it's tricking mm-hmm. people into eating less, using less energy, and living in a 15-minute cage. Because that's what people think of as, that's what detractors think of the 15-minute city as, right? Mm-hmm. But it's about choice versus what's imposed on people. As we said with Halloween, people actually really love that. You know what I mean? It's not like just some mandate.
1: Yeah, it's so like on October 31st, you have to go. Exactly. Halloween's like a good example. like people want to and people choose to. Like there's no saying, turn your light on. And exactly. like we just know and, and it's, it's, it's a tradition. It's
0: not like the government has tricked people into having candy and like, yeah. oh, it's tricking all these sheep into having their pumpkins out. It's yeah. like, you know, people <laughs> just really like this.
1: Exactly. And I was thinking a bit about degrowth and globalization because I try not to be like an anti-globalized person because I love travel. I love learning about other cultures and meeting people who have different backgrounds, different religions. It's all just like wonderful and the spice of life. Like I just love seeing new animals, seeing new plants. And it's like if we were like confined to a 15 minute city, which is not what that theory is, but it's how people project onto it then I'd be pretty sad. So, like, I'm not anti-globalization. But I think a way of making the world big again is by reducing the rules of travel. So, like, we often talk about passports. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not saying no passports, but just making it, like, financially or practically easier to travel around a bit more. Yeah, I mean... we have a train in Canada, that'd be cool.
0: This is just more about globalization in general rather than with fashion. But I even think... The bureaucracy is one thing, but bureaucracy where it's actually run by people mm-hmm. is something entirely to trying to log into your bank and all you can do is speak to the virtual chat, which mm-hmm. isn't even a real thing. And yeah. so you're just looped in this this purgatory.
1: Exactly. So what I was thinking of in regards to fashion and this globalization is relocalizing clothes. So like early 20th century if something was made by Dior, then it was made in Paris and only available in Paris. So going back to that of like having artisans and designers who like they make their stuff and it's in their country or yeah. it's in their town. New York and, Fashion Week. Yeah. And so it's like, it doesn't mean you can't go there. So it's like maybe I like the styles of Paris, so I'm going to move to Paris and making it a bit less crazy to do that process. But also tr- I want a Dior dress. I have to go to Paris to buy it and like that sounds really bad for emissions but I think with the solar scene and with the degrown future there will be better travel options more time for travel yeah I mean
0: I don't know that it's that much worse than just shipping everything everywhere
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense because it's like shipping yourself instead of shipping the clothes <laughs> and, but I think it'd make you a bit more intentional with your wardrobe and a bit more like paying attention to the things you really want it's like We really like that um, Dale of Norway brand. Yes. So so maybe we'll have to go to Norway or we'll have to move to Norway. One day
0: I want to trek to Dale of Norway Mm -hmm. with a big stick. Yeah. Just a big hiking stick.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. I also thought that I'll just like touch on one element of how fashion is a really great case study for degrowth. Because within the fashion industry, like unlike other industries, I think like say the dairy industry, it's like you have the farmer's. Everything's kind of produced on the farm. It's treated and then boxed and then shipped out. It's all kind of done in one place. But with fashion, there's the farming, there's the processing, the designing, manufacturing, marketing, innovation. Yeah,
0: not to mention so many clothes now are made of more than one material.
1: Exactly. So there's like a lot of different personalities and lifestyles that go that can be a part of this industry. So it's like a good opportunity for giving people meaningful work. And it will always be necessary. Like clothing will always be required. And it's kind of like when you think about degrowth, it's like, well, what are all the people in IT going to do? Or like all the people in like those jobs that are just kind of made up or not like fulfilling. Um, yeah. Like, like the, podcasters. the jobs I do, like the podcasters. What are we going to do? <laughs> Maybe we like spinning cotton so we can go spin cotton. And I just think it has a really great opportunity for all those different personalities. My final part about degrowth is deforestation, and monocultures, monocrops. So as we have got into a more industrialized world, we've discovered which crops are the most resilient, which types of sheep sell the best, which people like their wool the best. And so we've killed out all of these other animals, all these other crops, and we just have like yeah, one of each, basically. because
0: it's, it's just, it's the most efficient thing.
1: Yeah, exactly, or it's the most desirable And I think in the Solocene it will be more about, well, what crop is native to this area? Which sheep is meant to live in Nova Scotia and will use their wool? Or which linen plant works here? It'll be a bit more, it's better for the planet and the soil, because when you import a crop to an area or to a landscape that isn't equipped for it, it can hurt the soil if you don't rotate the crops or the the herds of sheep, mm-hmm. then it depletes the soil and then it in ten years, too bad, this whole entire area is just useful for nothing.
0: I think agriculture, monocultures, biodiversity is actually a really neat metaphor for culture, you know, fashion culture, I'd say. Yeah, I think so. It being different in different places rather than just being like this is the most efficient way to grow corn.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's all corn
1: yeah (laughs) and it's like it's good for feeding people that's good and for clothing people but with clothing in particular it's like we don't need billions of t-shirts every year (laughs) so it's okay if we're slightly less efficient and it's kind of like i think probably began in the name of sustainability and of social sustainability feeding people clothing people but we've kind of overshot a bit No,
0: it's for max profit yeah sure
1: and it's with food as well. It's like we're making more than enough food to feed people. It's just the bureaucracy and the political climate and all these other things. The profits, like those dump corn instead of taking a loss on it or whatever. And so I just think, yeah, being a bit more empathetic and less profit driven.
0: Can we end on something very solo Just like small and creating. Do we have a solo recommend for this week? Frankenweenie?
1: <laughs> we could recommend Frankenweenie. It's a good film. Yeah. We watched that last night. Aaron had never seen it. Did you cry?
0: I was kind of doing this.
1: Oh, you were like clenching. Yeah, for people
0: listening, I just kind of clenched my fist.
1: Yeah. Because, because Aaron I'm has a thing male. with dogs.
0: Well, Everyone has a thing with dogs.
1: You in particular.
0: My dog Skip. Shout out.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> Iconic film. If you want a sad but also... Thought provoking cartoon, really great stop motion. Frank and Weenie for the Halloween season. Frank and
0: Weenie. (laughs) Can we come up with a question for next week? I want to do something about movie character costumes. About costumes, let's do that then. Just talking about the neatest, soosini ones.
1: Yeah, let's just talk about our favorite movie costumes and designers. I guess like movie costumers, because I have some favorites.
0: Ba da 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 da.